You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Abraham and Lot, his nephew, had parted company. Lot chose Sodom, not the place of God's blessing. Hence, Lot, his family, had problems, and their soul was vexed because of the sin and unrighteousness of the people who lived in those twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But a time came when a confederation of nations came from the east to make war upon Sodom and its surrounding areas. As you analyze the life of Lot, you'll quickly realize he had a saved soul, but a wasted life. Today, Pastor Mike will be warning you against small compromises and how even sins that seem little will always lead to bigger ones. Lot started off by pitching his tent facing Sodom, and then ultimately, he ended up living in that city. Sin will always take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. There's a reason the Bible says to not make any provision for the flesh. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 15 as he begins his message, Our Defense and Great Reward. Now after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now in these words, God is seeking to teach Abraham and us as well. And I want to emphasize that because remember, like for example, in the book of Romans in chapter 15 and verse 4 and other places throughout the Bible, but particularly Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, we are told, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so therein lies the the importance of studying the scriptures and the way that God dealt with men and women throughout the history of mankind, that we might learn the lessons that they learned, that we might be taught the things that they were taught, that they would serve up these wonderful examples uh, for us. So anyway, in these words, verse 1, that serves as our text, God is seeking to teach Abraham as well as us that he has the power to protect his own no matter and whatever the circumstances. Whatever you'll ever have to face in your life's experience. Now let's go back to our verse 1, which serves as our text, and notice the first few words. It says, after these things. So that these promises relate to what? has gone before. And exactly what was it 
that has gone before. And particularly for those of you who have just joined us or are visiting, and by the way, thank you for being here this morning, and and, uh, we thank God for you. Or you haven't been around for the last couple of the weeks for whatever reason. Let me uh, bring you up to speed. This is in reference to the battle against the four kings of Genesis chapter 14. And as Phil had mentioned, you know, you can listen to those messages on our website, our previous messages where they're archived. Just go to harvestnyc.org, click on the online audio prompt, and it'll take you to one place. And all of the previous messages, not only on Sunday mornings, but also on Thursdays in our first John series are archived. And you can listen to them right on your computer, or you can download them to an MP3 player or, or whatever. So what are we referring to in context? The battle against the four kings of Genesis chapter 14. Now, let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about that battle. Let's talk about that conflict. Abraham and Lot, his nephew, had parted company. Lot chose Sodom, not the place of God's blessing. Hence, Lot, his family, had problems, and their soul was vexed because of the sin and unrighteousness of the people who lived in those twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But a time came when a confederation of nations came from the east to make war upon Sodom and its surrounding areas. And we treated this whole conflict and battle last time together. And we found that Sodom was overrun, and Lot, Abraham's nephew, and Lot's family and possessions were taken, captured. Uh, Just to remind you, let's go back for a moment to chapter 14, in verse 12, and there we are told, they also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, his nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and then they departed. Well, anyway, news had come back to Abraham, and he set out to rescue the family. And so with 318 armed men, he went in pursuit, he routed them, recovered all of the goods and brought back Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. And really, the, uh, the rest of that uh, conflict is recorded for us in verses 14 through 16 in Genesis chapter 14. And although Abraham was wise, cunning, and brave, and he had those 318 men at his disposal that were sort of like special forces, like uh, a SEAL team, if you would. It was Abraham, the equivalent of it would have been Abraham's SEAL team or, or Green Berets. And uh, so although Abraham was extremely wise, cunning, and brave, and had a great battle plan to go up against this confederation of, uh, of kings, remember, they attacked at night. And in the confusion of the darkness, Abraham was actually able to rout their armies. But nevertheless, it was God, and we talked about this, that the battle was God's. And Abraham absolutely knew this to be so. Now, you think that this would have strengthened his confidence. That is Abraham's confidence. That is, God went before him in the battle. I mean, they were outnumbered, they were outclassed, they were outgunned, but nevertheless, uh, they experienced a great victory that day. And the only way that you can explain that victory is by putting God behind it. And Abraham knew that. But you would have thought that in realizing that God was with him, that God went before him, that he would have been strengthened in his confidence. 
you know, going forward. If God did that for me in the past, certainly he'll do it for me in the future. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like what I always refer to as a track record. I want you to think back about all of the wonderful victories that God has wrought in your life. And, uh, and so it kind of gives us confidence for the future, looking back and uh, uh, knowing what God has done in our past. But in Abraham's case, that wasn't so. So what does our text here in chapter 15 and verse 1 imply? It implies that Abraham was anxious, that Abraham was afraid. Because notice, God, in addressing Abraham, says, do not be afraid. Now, why did he make mention of that to Abraham? Well, simply because Abraham was afraid. You see, Abraham must have been thinking about the consequences of his heroic deed. He must have been thinking, oh my gosh, what have I just done? Uh, this confederation of kings are furious, and surely they're going to come after me, and they're going to get me. But while he was wondering about these things, he allowed his heart to be gripped with fear. God came to him and promised his protection. And it was precisely the promise that he needed. Because notice again, chapter 15 and verse 1, the latter part, he says, I am your shield, Abraham, and your exceedingly great reward. Folks, this is exactly what Abraham needed to hear. So here's the question. Let's bring this down to personal terms. We're not here for some kind of a history lesson. We want to walk out of this place this morning encouraged, right? To take something with us when we leave here that's going to encourage us in our walk and our relationship with him and also in our life's experience. Because guess what? We're not exempt from trouble or our own difficulties and problems in life just because simply we're one of God's kids. But we should have a different perspective on our problems and difficulties knowing that all things work together for good. And God has allowed those things to come into my life for a very specific reason and purpose. But here's the question that I bring to you this morning. Are you shielded as was Abraham? Is God your shield? Do each and every one of you know God's protection? Now think about it in this way. In what or who do you place your trust in? Who do you look to when you're faced with some kind of a problem, dilemma in your life's experience? Now, someone may respond to that question and say, well, I look to the government and, uh, you know, the right man in office. And we've been working really hard to elect this particular official and place him in that position in, in office. And we have great hopes that you know, our, our city and our circumstances are, are going to change. So in time of trouble, are you looking to, who are you looking to for your help? Are you looking to the government? Are you looking to your wealth? Are you looking to your investments? Are you looking to your friends? Are you looking to your family or your popularity? Listen, these things ultimately will fail you and disappoint you. So if you want a real shield, what we need to do is trust in God. Now, the Bible throughout announces, both in the Old and New Testament, those things that God will shield us against. And this serves as our first point, so if you're taking notes, write this down. Let me say it again. Those things that God will shield us against. And to help us remember these things when we're faced with our own problems and calamity and circumstances, Think of it as the big four. 
okay? Just simply think of it as the big four. Now, the first of the big four is God will shield us from our enemies. Now, when I think of someone who had enemies, I can't help but think of David, because David knew this well, that God shielded him from his own enemies. I mean, he had, he had all sorts of enemies on all fronts. We're talking hostile nations around Israel, old friends of the former king, Saul, factions within his own government, rebels within his own family. Remember, his own son Absalom sought to unseat him as king over Israel and replace his father as king. He put a hit out on his dad. He put out a contract on his life. So David knew what it meant to be shielded by God. He knew the protective power of God. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. But, you know, think about this. Many of the Psalms are written out of the men who wrote those Psalms' life's experience and all of the struggles and all of the difficulties and all of the coming up against enemies that were larger than themselves. David was the writer of many of those Psalms. And he's sharing out of his own personal testimony, conviction, and experience in knowing God and walking with God. So when you're faced with your own series of circumstances, where you feel as if your back is up against the wall, I would encourage you to appeal to the book of Psalms. And I suspect that you'll find something to be extremely encouraging there. But the cross-reference that I want to share with you is not from the book of Psalms. Uh, it's rather taken from 2 Samuel in chapter 22, in verses 2 through 4. And he said, that is David, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. In verse 3, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. And then verse 4, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. There you have it. So the first of the big four is God will shield you from your enemies. Now, someone at this point may be thinking, well, Pastor Mike, you know, I, I really don't have any enemies to speak of. Well, let me just, just as a consideration, something to think about, okay? And I'm not trying to chide you or, or you know, give you a bad time or, or even convict you, but just something to consider. If you are able to say here this morning that you don't have any enemies, well, listen, you know what? You're probably not a, dyna a dynamic witness for Christ. I mean, I mean, even him, that is Jesus, had his enemies. In John's Gospel in chapter 15, in verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, if they hate me, if they persecute me, they'll also hate you and persecute you as well. So, if you do have enemies, or if you encounter them for the gospel's sake, you can be sure that God will be your shield against them. And you be sure of that. But then also, God promises to shield us from the devil. Now, in 1 Peter, and that's our second point, or actually the second thing that God will uh, shield you from, that is the devil. Now, in 1 Peter, in chapter 5, and verse 8, Peter... The apostle paints this picture of the devil as a roaring lion. 
and he's on the prowl, and he's seeking whom he may devour. Now, to counteract that, James, in his epistle, in chapter 4 and verse 7, tells us and encourages us, exhorts us, to submit ourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, those two verses of Scripture, the truth of those two verses of Scripture is wonderfully, magnificently illustrated by the Bible character Job and his experience. Okay, so who, who was Job? Well, just a snapshot in a nutshell. Uh, Job was someone, he was a guy who actually lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his home, he lost his property, and yet he did not yield to Satan to blame God. You know, the main point of the story in the book of Job is that God put a hedge of protection around him. We're told exactly that in chapter 1 and verse 10. And the devil could do nothing except what God allowed him to do. Now, I don't know, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of Job, but basically, let me, a quick summary, a quick snapshot. One day, the angels of God, and all of the angels, not only the angels of God, because de the devil was a part of that company, were presenting themselves before God in heaven. And they're, you know, the, the, it's sort of like the curtain is pulled back and we're getting a little bit of a glimpse of the heavenly scenes. And don't you love those verses of scripture in the Bible? Anyway, on this particular occasion, Satan, the devil, is amongst that company who are presenting themselves before God. And all of a sudden, they strike up a conversation, and God begins to brag about his servant, Job. Oh, God, please don't brag about me to the devil. You know. God said to Satan, Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? Someone who is righteous, someone who is upright. And then the devil, in response to God making those claims, suggests, and he said, he's only seeking you for what he could get out of it. Now, remember, I just mentioned that God had set a hedge about Job, even as he had set a hedge about you and me. And in that statement, in that claim that the devil made, in that suggestion, in that suggestion he's only serving you for what he could get out of serving you. Think about it. He was basically lowering that hedge. And then he went on in the conversation, suggesting it was not his love for you, God. In other words, that wasn't Job's motivation that kept him faithful. It was rather his being fearful of you. And once again, what is he doing? He's lowering the hedge. He's taking the hedge down a little bit lower. But you know how the whole story worked out, and his end was better than his beginning. And Job came through all of those tests flying colors. So what's the point? Well, there is nothing Satan will ever be able to do to you that must not first pass through the filter and the will of God, who allows it only in order to bring about a spiritual victory into your life. God will shield you against the devil. Now, also in this list, a part of the big four, where if you've been counting, we're now going to address number three. Also in this list, he shields us against temptation. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
in verse 13. This is one that you're all familiar with, right? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. So your particular situation, you know, isn't something that someone else hasn't been tempted to or hasn't gone through and hasn't been victorious. You know, it's not something that is special only to your experience. There are others who have gone before you who have experienced the very same thing. So, you know, get out of that mindset of thinking, well, you don't understand. He especially tempts me above everyone else. No, we listen, we've all been there. What does it say? No temptation has overtaken you except is common to man, all man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Okay, so what do we take away from this? Well, there will never be a temptation that will come into your life that is too strong for you not to be able to overcome. You'll never experience temptations that you simply can't overcome. So what's your temptation? What is the fiery dart that the devil is tossing in your direction? Are you tempted by lust or sexual sin? Uh, maybe uh, to achieve some uh, promotion or some occasion to gossip? Whatever, you fill in the blank. You know what you're dealing with. God knows that. And he knows that you can bear that temptation. So what's our part? And folks, let me suggest to you that there's always our part, right? Uh, God makes a way for us to be able to bear and escape those temptations. But nevertheless, there's our part. God's part far exceeds that of our part. But nevertheless, there's still our part. We have to work together in concert with him so that we can experience uh, the victory. So what is our part? Our part is to simply claim this promise that we're talking about this morning. Something like, Lord, strengthen me. You know, just cry out to the Lord. Lord, strengthen me and show me the way of deliverance. But you see, here's the trouble. The trouble with some people is that they're not looking for a way to escape it. That's the problem. They're fascinated by temptation. They're messing around with temptation. You know, one writer uh, describing this very thing said, it's sort of like a bird fascinated with a snake that is about to devour it. And, and some of us approach, you know, opportunities for temptation in that kind of a way. We're fascinated with it. We're toying with it. We're playing with it. Listen, we need to learn new habits. We need to look for God's deliverance. And if you do, you can be sure that your life will go from strength to strength. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. 
Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.